Jesus, and he uses Abraham, of all people, from Genesis as his example for this. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, the nations, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, not only is the gospel in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, but it is God himself who is preaching the gospel to the ears of Abraham. That's the explanation that Paul gives. So that he would hear and believe. Did you know God himself preached the gospel? He did it right here. And someone heard him. Not only is this the gospel, it's God preaching it. Friends, hear this good news. Hear this good news and believe in the God of Abraham. Jesus is the seed of the woman who has crushed our enemies of sin, death, and the devil on the cross. He took the curse of God on our sin upon himself in our place. And God blessed him and raised him from the dead. And so in Christ, God blesses all who believe in him, with life and every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, he is the blessing that you are longing for. And he preaches this same gospel today. Jesus does. To leave everything in the world behind, as God preached the gospel to Abram, and to follow you. Jesus is calling you, if you're not already following him, to follow him with this same command. He does it in Matthew chapter 7. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about this. This fallen world stands against God, and against Jesus, and so don't love this world or the things of this world, for they are all going to pass away under the judgment of God. Instead, believe this good news. Turn to Jesus, the fulfillment of all of God's promised blessings to Abraham, and you will be blessed by God in these very ways. And so who is this God who's calling sinners? He's the God who blesses sinners. I know. I know a lot of people are afraid to turn from their sin because they've just gotten used to it. As bad as it is, it's comfortable. And it seems fearful to turn to a God who judges sin. But if you would turn to him and confess your sin, he is not the God who condemns, but the God who blesses. Be blessed. Oh, my dear friend, if if this is sounding true to you this morning, take the no-brainer option. 
Trust Christ. Have your sins forgiven and be blessed with life. This God who is calling sinners is the God who blesses sinners. He is the God who, no matter how sinful you are, is determined to bless you if you will obey him and his son. And and he is the God who, no matter how bad things get in the world, Christian brothers and sisters, he's the one who's determined to protect and never abandon his people through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who's this Abraham? That's who God is. Who's this Abraham? How does he respond to the God who blesses? Now, we might expect, looking back in the Old Testament, that Abraham, who's the son of Terah, in the line of Shem, which we understand is the, is the line of the seed of the woman, we would, we would probably expect him and most of his family to be, to be believers and to be worshipers of God. But he's not. Not at all. Mankind... After the flood was cursed, uh, they, they, they fall into deep sin, deeper and deeper sin. The human heart is always and only sinful. It's our intention. Evil is our intention from, from childhood. That's Abram. That's Abram and all who live around. Abram lives in Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia. Ur had a tower. Remember Babel? Remember how Babel built a tower, a, a ziggurat? So it's this stair-step tower with a temple on top. Ur had one. And at its pinnacle was a temple to the moon god. Abram was a pagan. Abram was an idolater. Abram looked at the moon and says, God. That's Abram. And we're told in Joshua chapter 24 that Terah and Abram lived beyond the river where they served other gods. He was a servant of the moon god. Paul confirms this in Romans chapter 4, that Terah and Abram lived beyond the river, and, and, and they were from the ungodly. They were from the ungodly. He worshipped the moon for Pete's sakes. And so did his wife, and so did Lot, so did his dad, and everybody that they knew. So why does God speak to him? Why does God speak to him? Why does God call Abram the sinner? Well, in one sense, we don't know why God chose Abram instead of someone else. It wasn't because Abram was faithful and earned God's choosing and his blessing. He was not faithful. It's not because Abram was better than the other sinners and moon worshipers around him, and so he merited He was the best of the lot. He merited God's choosing. He did not merit God's choosing. Abram is God's election, pure and simple. God chose sinner Abraham. He chose him. He chose moon worshiper Abram. He chose to be the father of many nations, no children Abram, and old man Abram. To be his man. To bless him with all the blessings of God. Does God's God's selection of Abram seem foolish to you? Remember Paul's word to the church in Corinth. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's election of Abraham is his election of you and me. Is, is explainable only in God himself. You can't look at me and explain why I'm saved. You can't. You must look to God and say, well, God, God chose to save him. Salvation only makes sense. Blessings only make sense in terms of looking at God. It's his purpose for his plans, for his glory, and outside of him, none of this makes sense. So we begin the story with Abraham with understanding that God is sovereign and he does as he pleases and he chooses sinners to bless. It's the grace of God that we dare not miss here. The grace of a God who blesses sinners. Praise God for his electing love. His unstoppable plan to bless sinners. And that plan takes newly defined shape in God's calling of Abram. So how does Abram respond? How does Abram respond to this call of God? Look at verse, look at verse 4, back in Genesis chapter 12. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Well, Abram's quiet obedience toward the word of God is underwhelming, isn't it? What's he do? He goes. God says, go. Abram went. It's that simple. Just as God told Noah to build the ark. Ridiculous. Right? Build an ark? Ridiculous. Noah quietly obeyed. Noah built an ark. So God called Abram to move to a yet undisclosed location. Ridiculous. Absurd unreasonable, Abram went. Abram went. And this is no small undertaking. That's why it's strange that this is so muted. This is no small undertaking. Abram has to convince all of his extended family, all the people that have joined to him in Haran, all their livestock, to move all their livestock and all their possessions. Oh, and oh great, now Lot wants to come. Like that's going to make it easier. I mean, imagine just for a minute. So look at me. Imagine just for a moment. 
God calling me to relocate to a completely new place. Move your happy wife and children away from everything they know, away from everyone they love, and just go. I'll tell you when you get there. But that's not all. What if God says, take the whole church with you? All of us have to sell our houses, we have to quit jobs, we have to trade cars for vans, we have to hold garage sales and then pack what's left, we have to tell all our family, we have to change our, our, our mailing address at the post office and we don't know what to write on the form. And then you speak to your spouse, your loved ones, and they say, honey, why are we moving again? Well, God told Scott it's the thing to do. Well, well, Scott sounds like a cult leader. I mean, have you ever heard of David Koresh or Jim Jones? This is a major undertaking. And we don't even hear about the difficulty of the journey. How were the roads? How much was gas? What was the weather like? Did it rain a lot? Were there marauding bandits along the way? Probably. How long did their food hold out? Was Chick-fil-A open on Sundays in the Old Testament? You see, we're, what we're meant to be overwhelmed by is Abram's complete quiet obedience to God. And that his quiet obedience is quietly successful. What matters? God spoke, Abraham went. It's, it's successful especially in the face of uncertainty. Don't you think Abram wanted to ask, so where exactly is the land? Tell me one more time, where are we going? We're going to the land, obviously. Be honest for a moment. How much uncertainty does it take to stop you dead in your tracks from obeying the clear call of God in your life. How much uncertainty does it take? Uncertainty in addressing a besetting sin because it brings a ridiculous change and requires ridiculous effort like being a sojourner in a new land. Or uncertainty in forgiving someone else's sin against you because it's a ridiculous release on justice and a ridiculous humility that it takes to bring about your forgiveness of someone who sinned against you. Or uncertainty about telling someone about Jesus because it makes you ridiculously vulnerable and just plain ridiculous in a pagan society. Makes you feel like a sojourner in a new land. Abram believed the God who blesses and became a sojourner in a new land by faith. He believed in God's promised blessings. He was convinced that the land he had not yet seen would be given to him. And the writer of Hebrews tells us this is true. In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was yet to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. See, even in the midst of uncertainty, by faith, Abraham was certain of God. That's our help. I'm uncertain of this circumstance. I'm uncertain of this day, but we're certain of God. That he's the God who blesses us. He has a perfect track record in blessing us through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not even until Abram goes and journey is underway and he arrives in Shechem that God says, to your seed I will give this land. Now, the ESV uses the word offspring. As I've said before, seed is a better translation. Here's why that's significant. Turn again to Galatians chapter 3. Just a little further down in verse 15. So, Paul is again hammering the same argument with the Galatians. He's saying that we are not saved by our works based on the law. We are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he decides to give a human example. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, that he's got the Mosaic covenant with the law in mind. No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. So he's looking exactly where we're looking this morning. Those promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say end to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ? Now, the, it's, it's a little smoother in translation if we would stick with the original seed. This, this seed in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 is Abraham's seed. is not plural. We're thinking plural because there's, there's nations to come from it, but it's one. And this one seed is, Paul says, Christ. He is the fulfillment of the promise of the seed. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. Just because God laid out some rules for our behavior that work in tune with the people of God and what we should do and what we should say, what we shouldn't do and what we shouldn't say, doesn't annul the promise by which we're saved. It's the promise that was made to Abraham. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but it does come by a promise. So Paul says, God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Our salvation comes by faith in this promise that's fulfilled in Christ. The seed. And so even in the midst of some uncertainty, by faith, Abram has certainty in God. And we have the same. It's for us. I don't always know what circumstances are going to bring. I don't always have certainty how the day is going to close out for me. But I have certainty in God. And his promised salvation for me. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Whom he preserved in seed form, if you will. From the fall at the garden. To death, burial, and resurrection Salvation accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection to his ascension to heaven and his return to bring us home to the land he's promised for us. That's God. That's the God in whom we have certainty. 
He's the one in whom we look to. He's why we have confidence and we're not afraid. So it's, it's when Abraham goes to, the journey is underway and he arrives at Shechem, he gets this promise and we're saved by the promise. God promised to bless sinners through the one seed, the promised seed of the woman who would crush Satan in the power of sin and death on the cross. The same promised seed of Abraham who would bring salvation to all the peoples of the world. Not every person without exception, but every people without distinction. The gospel's for all peoples. And all of this is in and through Jesus Christ. And so, Abraham builds an altar, and he offers a sacrifice to God. You say, Scott, it doesn't say that he offered a sacrifice. Well, that's why you build altars, so that he can make a sacrifice. That's the purpose of altars. And this is bold worship. I mean, this is bold worship. Shechem is in the middle of Canaan, and in the middle of Shechem is this tree that is a a sacred place. It's where the Canaanite idolaters would gather to worship and hear a word from their, their gods, they're pagan gods, and there, in the midst of Canaan, the land uh, that, that Almighty God himself has promised to Abram and to his seed, Abram offers a sacrifice of praise to God who has blessed him. For all to hear, all the people who reject God get to hear Abram worship. And he worships Yahweh only, and he worships Yahweh openly. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that bold worship? Because Yahweh alone is worthy of worship. It's foolish what those other people are doing. They need to see God worshipers. Now this is one of those, this is one of those kind of prolonged circumstances that causes us tension. Just as when God, remember this, anointed David as king. You remember that? But was David king as soon as he was anointed? No, because Saul possessed the throne, so David's wandering all around the place. Same way, God has promised Abram the land of Canaan, but the land is possessed by the Canaanites. So he has the promise of the land, and and so he sojourns in the land until God gives his seed possession of it. For that matter, Abram's an old man, and Sarai, his wife, is barren. He has no prospect of having seed or offspring. Do you see Abraham? Do you see a picture of Abraham? He has no seed. He has no land. He has no name. He has yet to become a blessing to anybody. But he has the promise of all these things by faith in the word of God, the promise that all God's promises will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When Abram brings all his people to camp between Bethel and Ai, again he builds an altar and makes sacrifice. And he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now we've, we've talked about that phrase before. We talked about it with Enoch, we talked about it with Noah. It compacts two things together. That Abram both prayed to God, which is kind of what our New Testament understanding would be. He called on the name of the Lord. That's a prayer, right? Yes, it is. But it's more than that. He proclaimed the good news of God. He declared the truths about God. In a pagan land, surrounded by idolaters who have rejected God in their hearts, by faith, Abram preaches the gospel that God preached to him. That God chooses to bless sinners 
who believe in Jesus Christ by faith, that he will bless them by making them his people, protecting them as his people, profiting all the peoples of the world by his gospel-proclaiming program, which is today the church. And that he will bring them home to a place that he has prepared for them. It's the promised land. It's the promised land. We don't want our awe of the God who blesses to be small. We don't want our response to the God who has blessed us to be timid. He is the God who blesses. Let's be his people who leave everything, who pursue Christ only and worship him openly, especially in proclaiming the very gospel that God himself proclaimed from his lips to Abram. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow down before you and we declare that you are the God who blesses. You are the gracious one. We are the sinful ones. But you have made a way in your big plan for all of the world to be forgiven our sins. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for your purpose in saving us. And we pray that it would be accomplished. We know that it's this, that you would receive all the glory. For you are the God who blesses. And it's in Christ's name that we bow down and give all of our hearts and all of our service to you. Amen.